Hey everybody, this is Jamie Nunley, lead pastor of Victory Fellowship Church. Thanks for listening to the VFC Sermon Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to download our free VFC Thomasville app, where you can access all of our messages, sermon notes, announcements, and small group lessons. This app is the easiest way to keep up with everything going on here at VFC. So please enjoy the following sermon. We hope it encourages you in your walk with Jesus and helps you to belong, believe, and become. Enjoy. Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. So glad that you're here and excited about continuing our Replacing Religion series this morning. Um, How many of you were here last week? Uh, We talked about um, the fact that you're on my team. We wore different team jerseys and t-shirts. Learned about putting on our Jesus jersey. I promise today I will not make fun of anyone's favorite team. That was only a last week thing. Probably. I also want to let you know, um, if uh, we made the announcement uh, a couple months ago, but, um, you know, if you don't know already, we do have a satellite church going on in uh, Pakistan, and uh, I'm so honored that um, I'll be leaving uh, to go uh, be with them in a short while. Uh, Dylan Williams is going with me. Uh, We can't wait to see all that God has in store. Originally, I was going to be leaving this afternoon, but we've delayed the trip by about a week, and so I'll be here next Sunday. Day as well, uh, and we'll leave a couple days after that. So we'll give you more information next week about how you can pray and hopefully get you kind of a, a schedule of events where we'll be what we'll be doing. But I am excited. I will get to preach in our sister church in Pakistan on Sunday, um, and we're going to baptize people as well. Um, it's going to be really, really cool, so super excited about that. So we're continuing uh, replacing religion um, and the, the message this morning is called Your Place or Mine? Your Place or Mine? And I'm going to explain what that means. Before I do, though, I want to kind of go over um, what we've been talking about. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. We try to do this through systems, through institutions, rules, and rituals. In religion, God is the recipient of our activity. And unfortunately, that activity is inadequate and unnecessary. Because Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. He's done this through his son, Jesus. And in Christianity, we are the recipient of his activity, his grace, his doing of something that we otherwise couldn't do by ourselves. So we started last week looking at three pillars that hold up religion. These are the three foundational pillars of religion. Uh, And we talked about uh, exclusion Exclusion and how Jesus replaced exclusion. There is no longer a them for us to rally against. Everyone is a potential believer now. Christians don't fight against unbelievers. We fight for unbelievers. So it changes our perspective. We are not an exclusive group anymore. And so exclusion has been toppled by Jesus. Uh, The next pillar that we're looking at this morning is the pillar of location. Location, exclusion and location, and yes, next week we will have another shun word uh, that is another pillar of, uh, of religion that we'll see how Jesus replaced it as well. Religion needs a location. You guys know this. There are buildings all over the earth that have been dedicated uh, to the pursuit of God. There are all sorts of holy places in every religion. We've got churches. 
We've got temples. We've got cathedrals. We've got synagogues. We have mosques. We have shrines. We have all sorts of religious buildings. Um, I've, I've had a, a, an opportunity to see many religious buildings, um, and they're, they're, quite honestly, they're amazing. Um, we were in South Africa last year, and one of the biggest Buddhist temples um, in the southern hemisphere is in South Africa, interestingly enough, and uh, it was incredible. It was gorgeous, unbelievable, the amount of uh, detail that was spent on building that building and the craftsmanship and Tiffany and I, long time ago, got to visit uh, Europe, and we got to go through Europe and see, you know, Notre Dame and, and St. Paul's Cathedral and, and, and St. Peter's in the Vatican City, and look at these, these massive buildings, and they were, I'm telling you, they were impressive. They were huge buildings. They were massive buildings. I mean, a lot of time was taken to build these things, and so we know that, that there is an inherent aspect of location when it comes to religion, when it comes to trying to meet with God. Now, the location for the Jewish religion that Christianity was birthed out from was the temple in the city of Jerusalem. And and many of you have heard about the temple in Scripture. Even the New Testament references the temple a good bit. Um, and it's, it's been interesting. I've studied, uh, kind of um, studied up some more on that this week. And it's interesting. That thing, I'll show you a picture in a moment. But that temple was incredible. It was amazing. As amazing of all these other buildings that I referenced were this Jewish temple, the temple of Herod, the second temple, was amazing. It was incredible. It was incredible. Many of us grew up going to church. And how many of you heard someone say, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord today, right? And let me just say this. You will never hear me say that. Now, if you want to say that, it's okay. We're not creating rules of things that you can and cannot say here, okay? But, I'll, but by the end of this message, it's my goal to, to let you know that Jesus replaced all location when it comes to how we come before God. Many of us grew up to going to the house of God. And, and leaders in the church would say, well, the church is the people and not the building. And you've heard that. But yet their actions would say otherwise. I mean, I was a church brat. Was anyone else a church brat? I mean, you, you, you grew up in church, running in the halls, all kinds of stuff. And I'd be running, chasing my friend, playing tag, you know, whatever, because I thought that I owned the place. And, and then some person would just grab me and say, don't run in the house of God. Ooh. Goodness gracious. Well, was it don't run because it was the house of God, or was it don't run because running is rude and it's dangerous? And so, you know, we all pick up this idea that location is important. It's, this pillar of location was reinforced by people. Maybe you grew up, thankfully I didn't, but maybe you grew up in a home where your parents and your family acted different at church than they did at home. Therefore, reinforcing the idea that the church, the building, is the place where we act right, and the home is where we fight like cats and dogs. And where we're our, our genuine self at home. But at church, no, we've got we've to put on the facade. We've got to act a certain way and smile and be nice and religious. So, so we have these ideas about, even in Christianity, about how location is important. Religion requires a location, but God wants you to get lost. He wants you to get lost in his presence. 
He wants you to get lost in pursuit of him. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to get lost. And then say, not in that way. We need to get lost in the presence of God, okay? So I want to show you three ways that Jesus changed the importance of location when it comes to our faith. Here's the first one. Jesus replaced the purpose of the temple. Now, the temple was the epicenter of the Jewish religion. It was the place you wanted to get to. It was the place to be. You could not go to the city of Jerusalem without seeing the temple. It was massive. It was huge. It was amazing. An incredible feat of craftsmanship. It was amazing. But yet Jesus, when he came, he got in a lot of trouble about what he said when it came to the temple. Let me show you a couple scriptures here. Mark chapter 2. Verses 1 through 7 is a really crazy story about someone getting healed. Um, let, Let me just read it to you here. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they did what every normal person would do. That was my commentary. That's not in scripture. They dug a hole through the roof above his head. Could you imagine if all of a sudden we start hearing noise and (laughs) someone's scratching trying to get into the through the roof? They lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, "You'd think he would. You'd think his next words here are." You are healed, right? I mean, the dude's paralyzed. He's so paralyzed, he had to be dropped down from the ceiling. That's not what he said. He saw the paralyzed man. He said, my child, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, we're used to Jesus saying your sins are forgiven, right? I mean, that's why we're here. We believe that he forgave our sins. But this really caused problems with the religious people. Check it out. Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You know what? They're right. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. But here's what you need to understand. You need to get back into their mentality. Forgiveness was what the temple was for. If you needed forgiveness, you went to a place. You went to a building and you went through all the process of sacrificing animals and doing certain things for certain times and engaging in different rituals. And that's how you got forgiven. And here this man was in a different city in Capernaum, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple. And he's saying, your sins are forgiven. And they're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Only God can do that. And we've already got that covered, Jesus. We already have a whole temple system. We've got hundreds and hundreds of priests employed for this purpose. We spent spent a huge amount of time, 50 years, building this latest temple that we have. And we're so proud of it. It's amazing. What do you mean you can forgive sins? Because if you can forgive sins, there's no need for a temple. And so Jesus, Jesus began to continue and heal and forgive people. 
And the forgiveness of sins by Jesus was doing the temple's job. Therefore, replacing the need for a temple. Mark chapter 13, 1 through 2, is towards um, the end of Jesus' time there. He'd, always, he'd already come into Jerusalem through the triumphal entry. He'd, they'd been spending some time at the temple. He'd been, he'd been teaching. Jesus would, the temple was massive, and, and he'd get on one of those outside porches, outside areas, and he would teach. And so they're leaving the temple, Mark chapter 13, 1 through 2. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at these impressive stones in the walls. I mean, this this disciple was just overcome. He had been to the temple many, many times before. And still, every time, he was like, wow, this place is crazy. He's like, Jesus, look at this. Look at where we are. Look at how big these stones are and the precision with which they were cut and placed on top of each other. Look at this, Jesus. Jesus replied, yeah, look at these great buildings, as in absolutely. But they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Wow. Now, I need you to get as excited about this as I am, okay? Because I need to let you know something. What Jesus just said was a prophecy about something that was to come. Not only did Jesus prophesy and say that the temple in Jerusalem, that had just been finished, by the way, about 20 years ago, that the temple in Jerusalem uh, was was going to not be there anymore. He actually said how it was going to happen He actually said that not one stone will be left on top of another. Now, that was virtually impossible. That was virtually impossible. As a matter of fact, this temple had been built so it could withstand earthquakes, which happened in this region, so so that it could never be overtaken. I mean, it was the pride and joy of the architectural system back then. And Jesus says, it's amazing, you guys, but it's not going to be standing and not one stone will be on top of the other. Just read from the book of Mark. The book of Mark was written probably between 45 and 60 AD. Um, it counted the life of Jesus. And here the writer writes down and records that Jesus said that the temple was going to be no more and that not one stone would be on top of it. You know what's so amazing about that? is that this prediction, this prophecy came true. It's verifiable in history. You don't have to go even to Scripture to see that it happened. As a matter of fact, it's not in Scripture, but you can look at history. In the month of August, the year 70 A.D., Rome sieged Jerusalem. There had been another group. It's about 40 years after the time of Jesus. And, 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 and um, Rome uh, circled and surrounded Jerusalem. There had been a bunch of, um, of religious zealots that, had, that, had, that had, they were fighting the Romans. They were trying to take back because um, Israel was occupied by Rome. They said, no, we want to be a free country. We want to be a free country. And so Rome said, okay, you want to mess with us? All right, here we go. And the emperor Titus sent all of uh, the, the, the strength and power of Rome encircled around Jerusalem and said, we're going to show you who's in charge here. And under the leadership of Tiberius, who was, who was, uh, who was 
over that area as far as Rome was concerned. They ransacked the city. They burned it to a crisp. They even purposefully, it was near Pentecost when this happened, they, let, they purposefully let sojourners and people who were traveling for Pentecost, they said, okay, go on in the city. Go on in. And they locked them in the city, they cut off their food supply, and they burned them up. If that weren't worse, if that weren't enough, even worse, they then, brick by brick, stone by stone, dismantled the temple. Now, let me just show you. This is a picture of the temple. This is actually the second Jewish temple that existed. The first one was the Temple of Solomon. It was about half this size. We're not totally sure. This is a model. We're not totally. They didn't have cameras back then. I don't know if you knew that. (laughs) This is a model. We're not totally sure exactly how long it would be, but a lot of scholars think uh, that the length of this would be around 14 football fields. Hey, look at that. It's, it's massive. And those, the porch areas, those open areas are where people would gather. That's where Jesus would teach. On one side um, of that inner area where you see the, the, the structure, uh, the, the larger structure in the middle with gold on it and stuff, one of those was the, the beautiful gate. You remember when Peter and John went to pray and there was a beggar and he got healed? That's what it happened in there. So this was, this was the hub of everything Jewish back then. All right? This is, could you imagine trying to dismantle that? Could you imagine if you were talking with Jesus, you're like, Jesus, isn't this crazy? And he goes, it, it is, it's really good, but I'm telling you, not one stone. They'd be like, Jesus. It was a huge risk for Mark to even write that down. Because it hadn't happened yet when he wrote it. If you go there today, on the western side of the Temple Mount, there are the rocks. That's what's left. Not one stone. On top of the other. Totally, completely dismantled. All that's left are some of the rocks that were thrown down that broke the road below and smashed into little pieces. We have the uh, part of the retaining wall left. It's known as the wailing wall now. That's it. The temple, Jesus' prophecy came true. Not just the fact that it was an impossible thing that that this temple would be overthrown and destroyed, but in the the way in which it was destroyed. Look, if you don't follow Jesus, you might want to consider listening to this guy. He knows what he's talking about. He knows the future. He knows right where you are, and he wants to know you personally. Amen? Amen? The temple was destroyed because it was no longer needed. It's never been rebuilt. The system of forgiveness that God has, has given to the world has been permanently replaced by Jesus. It's no longer based on a location. It's based on a person. Here's the second thing I want you to know. Where you worship is not as important as how you worship. Where you worship is not as important as how you worship. Jesus, in John chapter 4, meets with a woman. Uh, She's a Samaritan. And we talked about last week, Samaritans were hated. Jews and Samaritans didn't deal with each other. They they really got on to each other. They didn't like each other. Um, And so Jesus is going through Samaria... 
He wants some water. There's a woman at the well. He's not supposed to speak to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman. His disciples are off getting food, uncomfortable situation. But Jesus does what Jesus does, and he begins to share with her. And he begins to say, hey, there's living water that's available for you. And she's like, hey, I want that. He's like, no, it's spiritual. You'll never die. You'll never thirst again if you drink of this water. And she figures out, he, he actually has a word of knowledge about her, her marriages, that she'd been married several times before and that she was living with a guy currently. And she goes, okay. She says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And it, it, the, the text picks up here, John chapter 4, verse 20. So she deflects, let's get this, let's, let's, let's not talk about me anymore, Lord. Let's just talk about theology and religion, right? So she asks him a question, verse 20. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it's here at our mountain where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. It will no longer matter. Location no longer matters. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I love this. So she asks a really important question. She goes, okay, where do I find, where do I find God? Where do I find him? Your place or mine? Our tradition says that we worship here. Your tradition says that you worship there. Who's right? And what does Jesus say? He says, it doesn't matter. The time is coming. The rules are changing. Where the location of worship doesn't matter anymore. He says, real worship, real communion with God is the result of knowing the one that you worship. Now, he says something that seems kind of mean. He says, you Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. They're like, ouch, Jesus, what do you mean by that? Well, the Samaritans had actually changed some of the Jewish theology because, remember, they were half Jew, they were half pagan. They'd, they'd changed some of the Jewish theology, and they had made God much more manlike. They, they, they made God uh, more in their image, and, and they rejected some of the stuff that the Jews uh, were teaching about the nature of God. And so Jesus is correcting her. He's saying, hey, look, y'all are wrong on some issues here. The, the key is not where you worship. It's how you worship. It's who you worship. And then he corrects her even further. And he says, God is spirit. He's not a man that he should lie. He's not like one of us. Right? He is spirit. His substance is spirit. He's unlike us. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So where can I find God? Not where, how? In spirit and truth. That's how you find him. What does that mean? First of all, in spirit means recognizing God is not a man, but a spirit, a spiritual substance. God in charge, over, smarter, stronger. That's how you worship him. You worship God as, as, as someone who is worthy of all of our worship in spirit. And then also in truth. Now the word truth here, it, it can mean doctrinal you know, truth and being factually correct. 
But it's really not used that way here. It's, it's, the truth here is more of an authenticity, of being honest. You worship God according to who he is, and you also worship God according to who you are. Recognizing your faults, recognizing that you need him desperately. Being honest, not putting on a front for everyone else to see, but in spirit and in truth, in authenticity. So where you worship is not nearly as important as how you worship and who you worship. The third thing that Jesus changed is is he's changed the fact that now you are the location where Christianity takes place. It's not a building. You don't go to a place to practice Christianity. You don't go to a location to practice your faith. The practice of faith, the practice of Christianity is done in you. You are the location. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and they're doing all sorts of stuff. They're abusing their bodies. They're, they're not treating um, their bodies right, whether it be through sex, whether it be through food, whether it be through all sorts of things. And he's convincing them, look, you have a purpose. You don't belong to yourself. And he says this, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? He dwells in you. He lives in you. Where is God? In you. If you've let him in. He dwells in you. He lives in you. I love this next line. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. What, what, wow, God destroying? What do you mean? It means that God is jealous and proud of his people, just like religious people are proud of their holy sites. And you put, up, you put up signs, hey, don't deface our property. Hey, no running in the halls of the church, boy. And, 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 you, and, and just as proud as we are of our buildings, even more is how proud God is to live in you. They've actually found a stone uh, from the temple I showed you earlier. Um, archaeologists, uh, archaeologists have um, excavated it. And it's actually a warning stone. It's a warning stone that says, hey... If you're not Jewish, you better not come past this point. We have that. We have that stone. It's written and it's a warning. And it it was on the outer gate before you could go into the Jews only place. As passionate and particular as they were about their big building, God is even more passionate about you, the home that he lives in. Now, if you can get this, this changes everything. This changes how you behave. You behave in a correct way. You act right. You do good things. Not because God is watching you. But because God is in you. You deal with people differently. Not because you, oh, I'm going to sick God on you. If you don't act right. You don't do things the way I want you to. I'm going to pray and he's going to mess you up. Y'all prayed those prayers before? Dear Lord, please mess up my friend. 
But if God lives in us and we are now the residents of God, then that changes how we deal with other people, doesn't it? Because you're not going to mess up God's house. Because that other person, you may be mad with them and you may be mad at them for just cause. But they are housing the very presence of God. It changes church attendance. Church attendance no longer becomes a religious duty. Well, it's Sunday, and I guess I better go and sit on those red chairs. Get me some coffee. I'll endure it for a little bit. No. Church attendance is not a religious duty. It's not something that you have to do. You come because you realize you're part of a body. You're one part in a large body, and you have a role to play. And you need others, and others need you. And then we come together to celebrate our collective salvation, that God lives in all of us. And so we gather together together, and, and we gather together, and we, and we just enjoy each other's presence, enjoy his presence. And he's moving in me. He's moving in you. He's using you to minister to someone else. He's using someone else to minister to you. It's beautiful. It's amazing. You are the location where Christianity takes place. In the, the early church, there's a man named Stephen. And he gave this amazing sermon in front of the Jewish council. He was a converted Jew and um, was following Jesus. And he preaches this amazing sermon. It's in Acts chapter 7. And at one point, he says this. In Acts 7, 48, he says, The Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. The Most High, that's the Hebrew word for their God. He doesn't live in your temple. He doesn't live in your big masterpiece that you're so proud of. And you walk around and you're like, whoa, it's impressive. But that's not where God is. That's not where he is. He lives in the heart of man. You know what happened to Stephen? After this speech, after this line, they killed him. That's how much they loved their location. That's how much they wanted to fight for their location. They killed him. You know who was holding the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen? It was a guy named Saul, who we now know was Paul, who later on in Acts chapter 17 was preaching to the Greeks, and he said, God does not live in temples made with human hands. He repeated the very same line that he stoned someone for saying earlier. Because Paul got it. He finally understood. It was not about location. It was not about a building. It was about a person. It was about meeting God where where he is. And allowing him to come into our lives. This changes everything, you guys. What does this mean? This means that there are no sacred places, only sacred people. And when we gather together, this is a holy place right now. Why? Because of the drywall? Because of the fans? Pretty good fans. I like them, as fans go. Carpet? Carpet's not that great. Why is this place sacred? Because you're in it. Because you're in it. 
Because you change the atmosphere when you show up because God lives in you. This is how we attend church, by being his residence. This is how we act right, by recognizing that he's within us. This is how we treat others, by recognizing that he's not just, I'm not just not his house, you're his house too. And we're not going to destroy each other because God lives in us. And the religious pillar of location has been replaced. God gave the people a generation, 40 years, to unhook themselves from location, to unhook themselves from the temple. But then he allowed it to be completely and utterly destroyed, not one stone on top of the other. Guys, we have got to live like we are the location of God. We've, we, we've got to stop separating our, 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 our spiritual lives into buildings. When I'm in this building, I act this way. When I'm in this building, I act another way. No, you are the building. You are the residence. And if we will grasp this, people won't stop going to church. They'll start coming to church. Because they recognize I'm not here out of some religious duty. I'm here because the God in me wants to see the God in you. And we want to worship God together. And so my question to you is this. Are you willing to replace religious location and become the residence of God? Become the house of God? Let's stand for prayer. Next week, we'll finish our third pillar of religion. We talked about um, exclusion. This morning, we talked about location. Next week is mediation. I'll explain what all that means um, next week. I encourage you to come. But let's do some business with the Lord. Uh, let's take a moment um, and, and listen to his voice. If you will, close your eyes. Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit in your own words, under your breath. Just ask him, am I, do I act like the location of God? Do I recognize others as the location of God? Do, do, have, have I acted like it was a building and not a person where you live, Lord? Come on, let him correct you. Let him speak to you. I want to lead you in a prayer where you resolve to make your heart the location of God. Maybe this is the first time you pray this. And if you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, if you've never once and for all said, okay, God, I want you to live in me. I want want you to make your home in me. That means that, that God's in charge. Right, The person that lives in the house, the person that owns the house, has control of the house. And so what you're doing is you're giving him access. You're giving him access to live in you. And you become his residence. And therefore, how you act, what you say, what you do, where you go, it's all now subject to him. That's lordship. That's salvation. Really quick, if there's anyone here that's never made that decision and you want to pray this morning, I want you to raise your hand real high. 
And we're going to pray with you. We're going to let you know. You will know that you are the house of God. You'll never doubt it again. You'll know that he lives in you. Amen. If you will, I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that while religion needs a location, you want me to be your location. Forgiveness is found in you, not in a building. And where I worship is not as important as how I worship. So I want to worship you in spirit and truth. I am the location where Christianity takes place. So I choose... Empowered by your grace to walk out my life with you living in me. Help me, Holy Spirit, to be a good host for the presence of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Val, will you close us? Hey, once again, thanks for listening to the VFC podcast. If you live in the Thomasville area, we would love for you to connect with us in person. For more information about our weekly gatherings, including service times and directions, just visit us at vfcthomasville.org.